invite you now to join our conversation, an instrument of healing as we share how each of us can grow through times of illness, grief, and loss. Our wish is through these words you will discover a healing community that promotes insight, reignites hope, and nurtures peace. Welcome. Hello, everybody. This is Jeffrey Cloninger, your CWK podcast host. I'm joined today, of course, by Kelly Grosslogs and our first in-studio, Studio B guest, Dan Marco, a friend of ours from Chicago. Welcome to you, Dan. Hello. And this welcome, so of course, Kelly. so exciting to have a guest in the studio. I am super excited to be here. I know. Dan, you just really thank you for being brave enough to do this. I know this is difficult, especially when with the topic we're going to talk about having some emotions around it. Yeah, but and our topic is the unexpected journey, and a lot of that is around caregiving, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Well, first of all, I want to thank Kelly because I basically begged her to get on the show. <laughs> and I know it is true. I reached out to you and I asked if I could be on the show because I've always been a fan. I mean, we're friends socially, but I've come to get familiar with your work and I think it means a lot. And I didn't really realize, like, I know you socially and you, I consider you a friend, but until this episode kind of happened to me, I didn't understand what you do and the value that it can bring. Mm, so it was, it was a lot for me to kind of realize that this person that I've known actually knew had, something. Yes. <laughs> well, and it had value and it adds value and it is very important. Well, thank you, Dan. You know, most of us don't know until we have to know. And I think that's why I'm so grateful because many people that are listening today are searching for the know and the knowing, and I'm really glad you're here to talk about this and that you're being brave enough to open up about a topic that's really hard. Can you give us a little bit of the a story of how you became the caregiver for your father? It, it I, you know, it didn't all of a sudden happen. It's been going on for at least two years, but um, last fall, uh, my parents were on their 50th anniversary cruise, and I joined them. Um, and you're going to ask me whether or not I went for for just for the trip or for them, and I'm going to say yes. Um, there was kind of <laughs> <laughs> there was two things going on. I wanted to make sure that they were taken care of, and nothing like this happened. And I also wanted to go see Rome and do do this do this uh, trip. So I did both. My father had been kind of acting weird and been a little lethargic, and he had the flu before we had gone on the trip. And in retrospect, I didn't really pay enough attention to it and really didn't get in his face enough about what was going on. He was already pretty sick by the time we'd started the trip. And then as with the trip started and we started going on, you know, from, from we started in Rome and we started going through these ports of all, he was just getting sicker every day until finally it got to the crisis point when we were in Spain and he didn't really want to go to see the doctor because he's like, if I go see the doctor on the in the in the sick bay, like they're gonna kick me off the ship. And I'm like, I don't really care if you get kicked off the ship. Like this is not we can't keep doing this. So we went down, we saw the doctor. The doctor took basically one look at him and was like, You gotta get off the ship. Mm. And so there was a whole conversation in which um the doctor was like, you know, you you your dad can't stay. You guys can stay if you want. And I'm like, well I'm not leaving my dad in a hospital in this some foreign country. So I ended up taking him and my mom off the ship and we went to the hospital. Uh, my father was really sick. He went into septic shock that night and it really was very dicey. 
uh, he ended up kind of pulling through. Uh, he spent 17 days in the ICU in Spain. Oh, another, wow. Yeah. Out of the country. Yeah. And another six there in, in the hospital, just kind of recovering. Um, there wasn't any kind of physical rehab or physical therapy going on. So we had to airlift him back into the United States, which was a lot of fun. And then we got him here in Chicago and he's been in two other facilities. Uh, he's been staying with me for a couple of weeks and this week he finally is being readjusted and reacclimated back home with my mom. So it's been 12 weeks of unknown and scary. Yes. You know, you, you mentioned something that I think is important to address, which is um, I wish I would have been in his face more. I think a lot of people when they get to these situations have this guilt that they missed something. Um, it sounds to me like you were actually tuned in, but then hearing your father's resistance to going to the dock on the ship, I imagine that that probably was going on prior to going on the cruise as well. It was. I think, you know, in my own head, there were definitely things, there were definitely red flags all along the way that I kind of ignored. And it's one of the things that was kind of going on in this process was kind of like, how did I end up here mm. in this foreign country with my dad, the sick, going into septic shock, perhaps dying at one point, you know, and calling up my brother and my sister at four o'clock in the morning and being like, I'm not sure if dad's going to make it tonight. So there was a lot of guilt about what happened and what, you know, my mom and I did and didn't do and what we should have, shouldn't have done. And, and I think that that's hard, you know, yeah. that was definitely one of the things that was hardest. I think there were, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to, to come and talk about it because, because there were so many things in this crash course that I wish somebody had said to me at the outset, you know, like warned me about or to be thoughtful about or conscious about. Do you as, mean when you're in the ICU? You wish people would have. All of it. I, I think, first of all, I think there is this fallacy that people have in their mind that they're going to be a good caregiver to their parents, that somehow because they're a teacher or they're a social worker or they work in the field or they're, you know, they're a medical professional, somehow or another when they talk about taking care of that person in their life, and it doesn't have to be a parent. It can be a grandparent. It can be an aunt, uncle, whoever, guardian, mm -hmm. that special person, right? That you, you somehow or another have these assets or these abilities or these talents that will make you a good caregiver to that, to that elderly person. And I realize now that if you're that committed to helping somebody in this stage, if you're willing to be their lifeline to the world, if you're willing to help them like that, you're already personally invested. And by definition, because you're personally invested, you're not going to be able to do it well. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to screw things up. You're going to feel guilty. You're going to you're going to feel any one of a number of emotions. And 89%, I've done it statistically, 89% of them are not positive. <laughs> so you have to kind of come at a crisis like this with the notion that I'm not going to be able to, to stop a breakdown or prevent myself from cracking like an egg. It's about what do I do when I, when I do break down? What do I do after this happens? And how do I get back, you know, put it back together, focus, because it doesn't stop, right? Your role doesn't end because 
you had a meltdown or you're upset or, you know, and yet you should be allowed to have a meltdown. I mean, yeah, I'm, I had three big ones that I, I will fess up to. And I think there were like at least six other ones that were mini meltdowns that, you know, I'm not, I'm going to deny that I had (laughs) later on. So meltdown is, is such an interesting term that I, that I've heard a lot working in the hospitals for so many years and it has a really negative connotation to it. Like we're bad people or we're weak. And actually what it is, is it's just, it's, it's the human natural reaction to loving deeply. And it's, um, it's a very appropriate response when you are sleep deprived and you're scared and you're in a, and for you, you're in a foreign country, but the fear factor will absolutely create people to have very strong emotions. And so meltdown sounds really, um, really hard on you. You know, it sounds really hard on you. What I'm hearing is, wow, you had a really strong human reaction to loving your father so much. And also in that midst, we don't even realize it, how we are guilting and shaming and all these things to ourselves, right? And blaming and what could I have done differently to avoid this? You know, actually you saved your father's life by bringing him, because if you look at the synchronicity of the time, if he would have gone into septic shock on the ship, he would have died. Yeah. I. There's no doubt in my mind he was within hours of, of passing away. You yeah. know, the other thing I think about, too, is what would it have been like had you not been on the trip at all? You were there mm-hmm. in a wonderful time to be present for your family, even though in retrospect, it probably doesn't feel that way. See, and that's where it gets complicated because... You say that, and I I hear you, and I appreciate it, but there's a part of my that says they wouldn't have done this if unless I had agreed to come along. And so what turned out to be fortuitous, at some level, I blame myself for enabling them to do this. I'm not sure they would have undertaken this trip. And I think that's to Kelly's point, is like the blame and, and, yeah. and the shame is like, I... Yes, it was very fortunate that I was there. I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't been there. But also, I'm not sure what the three of us would have been there if I hadn't mm-hmm. signed on. And um, so it, there's always this kind of confluence of emotions and whether you did the right thing, whether you should have done something different. And when you're personally involved, um, you know, you can become your own worst enemy. You can you can beat yourself up way harder than anybody else will and take responsibilities on and blame on that are far, far and above what a normal rational person might subject themselves to. I have a question. I'm wondering if, if your thoughts on this, um, sometimes when I would be in the hospital, I would see families very distracted, whether they were fighting as a family or blaming themselves or whatever it may be. And what it actually did was it distracted from what was actually going on, which was that they had a very sick loved one in the hospital that was dying or whatever, because over here to your term meltdown, again, over here having these big feelings that are appropriate or fighting with siblings or whatever, they aren't focused on the crisis going on. Did you, do you know if any of that helped you or do you know, looking back on it now, was it, was it really hard to face the reality? So instead you could blame yourself because that's something you could handle the reality of your father dying or being sick maybe was more difficult. And I do see that a lot with people. I see, because I ask people a lot, 
what purpose does this have for you? Like if I were with you in Spain and you were blaming yourself and you were very guilty, I might ask you, what purpose does that have right now? It was, it was definitely hard. Um, I think distraction probably would have come into play if I hadn't been alone. And so my mom went home pretty early in oh. the hospital stay. Yeah. Um, so the story keeps getting worse. <laughs> right. And part of it was simply because, you know, my mom has limitations herself and I wasn't sure that I could give her the kind of time and attention that, that I needed to, it, you know, what it was a public hospital. It, it was not easy to navigate. The elevators didn't work, you know? And so like you had to walk up three or four flights of stairs. It just, it wasn't manageable. So, there was, you know, I was there by myself. And I think that's, that was definitely the isolation and, yes. and lonely. Yes. And then that's where I think you kind of play games with yourself or you, you do tricks on yourself. And to your point, I think if, if my family extended family had been around or my brother and my sister, and my mom had been around, I think we would have been distracted. I think we would have kind of fallen into our family dynamics as a means of kind of dealing with it. Um, but one of the questions I wanted to ask you Kelly, um, was through the beginning of the ICU process, my, my dad was on a ventilator and he started coming out of, they, they, they took him off the sedation and he started kind of responding. He was still sedated, but it was one of the first times that I saw him and I had a conversation with him, even though he was heavily sedated and I knew he was there, he was responding to me and I had to have this conversation with him in which I had explained to him all of the things that had happened and he was in this foreign country and he was in a hospital and he had lost four days and he was in this ICU. And I was so relieved initially to see him and hear him and know that like he was still checked in because he had really not been there. But then the next thing happened, which was this unbelievable rage. Like I, by him or you, me. Okay. I literally said to him, I'm so glad you're alive and I'm glad you're doing better, but I'm going to murder you right now. <laughs> hey, honesty is great, right? <laughs> and thank God the Spanish didn't I was going to say, thank God they <laughs> right? did not understand English. <laughs> oh my God. Cause we'd be doing this in a jail cell. Exactly. We'd be doing this podcast. Exactly. I mean, I was not going to murder him, but I felt that he never took responsibility for himself in this process. Okay. And I was very angry for him at him for putting me in the spot and putting me in this role of kind of crisis medical manager. How often do you run into patients or how often do you run into clients of yours where they end up getting emotionally compromised with anger or other really unpleasant feelings in the throes of being a caregiver? Um, 99. <laughs> okay. Because I, I mean, it's, it's pretty natural. And again, going back to, it has a, it has to do with a lot. We don't just, you know, every, these are involuntary things, emotions and feelings. Okay. They're not something that you called up. And, and so when things come up, we have to honor them and they come up for purpose. So you mentioned, you know, the, the, the listeners don't necessarily know this, but your father had a history of some behavior that was very unhealthy. And so it all came to a culmination. You were sleep deprived again, Dan. I mean, I think people have to be very aware that they're sleep deprived. They're scared. That anger can actually come out as, um, it's, it, it's just, it was, it's an intense relief almost. Okay. 
And I, again, it sounds like you did a really good job of blaming yourself Mm -hmm. for for everything that went wrong. Really good at that. And I wonder, and as even to Jeffrey's point, I'm wondering now that that initial crisis is gone. Have you done anything about what went right? What went right? Have you, have you acknowledged for yourself? Because that's the thing with caregivers. I never hear about what goes right. I never hear about what they do well. Yeah. I, my sense is now, um, you know, I, you're right. I blamed myself. I, I was angry at myself for being angry. Like, does that make sense? Like I definitely- story of my life. Dan. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> This isn't about you. <laughs> no, That's I'm why kidding. I'm being quiet. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I, I blamed myself for being angry. I was I was having these kind of violent emotional mood yeah. swings that I was just not prepared for. I'm not that person. And it goes to my point, you know, like I thought I was going to be good in this role. I thought I was going to be the level-headed person. And all of a sudden I'm having, and it, I, you're right, it was me processing emotions like, and, and so at one point, um, that when the first day they pulled my mom and myself, there was this public hall, you know, the hallway, right. They, they made, cause it's a public hospital. They had all the patients for the ICU stand outside and they called us. My, they called my mom and I, and pulled us into a private room to, to sit us down to talk to the doctor. And I was convinced at that moment, they were going to tell me that my father was dying turns out that they were like no this is just your consultation time we do this with all the other patients we pull them into the room and they speak with the doctor at that point i was just absolutely bawling i was crying okay. uncontrollably i was beside myself because i had let my own expectation of that moment get ahead of me and to make matters worse like so i'm crying and i think everybody kind of understood but then you know we had to go back out in the hallway i could not stop crying mm-hmm. at that point mm-hmm. and i'm sitting there bawling my mom you know, she, I think she went to the bathroom. I'm sitting in this hallway with all these other patients or families and just con- uncontrollably crying. And I'm, they looked at me and I'm, you know, I, they knew I was not from Spain, but they looked at me like, what is wrong with this person? And I really didn't understand. I, 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 later on, about a week into the process, I realized that other people were going through the same thing. I saw other people kind of crying and having the same reaction as to the news of their family member in the ICU, good or bad. And I realized without being able to understand a word of what was going on, the exact thing that they were going through because I had gone through it myself. And it's, it's just this raw, awful moment mm-hmm. where you see um, people kind of dealing with grief. And you can relate in a in a way that is so tender as a connection, and yet in a way that is so scary. And you know, and and I, and I think in those situations too, Dan, it's like it's you're just like you're a minute away from things changing. I mean, an ICU is like the minute by minute situation, yeah. right? Yeah. And so um, I hear that a lot from caregivers. I hear that a lot from people in general that when they have a community that that I hear a lot, quote, get it. Um, the, the feeling of not being as isolated can be healing in and of itself. And that's sometimes where the tears also come to, like, I'm not alone in this. And, you know, but the best thing to do, and for people listening that maybe aren't um, 
through it quite like Dan is in terms, I know you're still going through it, but out of that initial crisis is to not judge the emotion and to allow it. And that really is the best because we have so limited energy in caregiving. And if we're spending it judging, then we are using up the energy that we need for to care for the person. And so I'm really honored that you're allowing us to see the raw emotion here. And, um, and I can, you know, I imagine, and I'd like you to touch on, um, trauma. You and I talked about it a little bit before we went on the air, but the post-traumatic stress that comes with all of it. I mean, being on the ship, seeing somebody intubated, not knowing, you know, in America, we take people into private rooms because it's not good news, right? Generally, and right. so you're coming from your cultural experience, right? And I and in your home experience, and then to have them be kind of laissez-faire and be like, "Wow, that's it's it's it hit you." I mean, it completely hit you. It sounds to me though like you've had two very significant reactions. One was anger, and one was sadness or relief. And I wonder if you're the kind of person that bottles stuff up or compartmentalizes things until they're so bad that they blow. I, th- I think that's true. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to fall into stereotypes, but I think men tend to do this a little bit more. I think men tend to, I mean, I certainly did not give myself permission okay. to get emotional. So what would be your advice to the person listening who's back at that first day in an ICU or back at the first day of hospice or... First of all, I realized that I put a lot of people, I, I put a lot onto the people that were there. I thought that they, I thought they were judging me for being emotional. I thought that they were like, oh, this guy, this guy, America, this, this American guy, he's sitting here crying. You know, what a sloppy mess this guy is. I did not realize until I started seeing other families that everyone there was kind of in an awkward silence. It wasn't that they were ignoring me. It wasn't that they didn't care. It was like they they understood implicitly what was going on. And people came up to me afterwards and were unbelievably kind. Mm. And because you let them be. Right. And you but, let them in. Yeah. And we kind of formed non speaking alliances <laughs> with each other because, you know, they people came up and they were like Supadre and I was like, hey, you know, he's great. But um uh-huh. it it was definitely one of the things that I didn't understand was that there's just going to be emotion. It's going to happen. And you have to kind of, I mean, you have to try to be constructive in the way that you deal with it, but there's going to be moments where you're just going to be weak. You're going to, the wheels are going to fall off the bus. Mm -hmm. And when they do, you really have to not sit there and try to keep score with yourself. Good for, yes. Yeah. And get, get on yourself about it. The other thing that I really remember is that um, I had two very, very good friends of mine um, who took the time to call me in Spain because they were worried about me. Versus you having to call them. Yes. No, they, they, and one of them, her mother had passed away the same day that my dad got sick. And she took the time to call me in Spain. And kind, and it was a remarkable, both of them were remarkable conversations because they knew my dad but they they were in concerned or in inquiring about my dad to the extent to which it impacted me. It was not what's going on with your dad. It was like, how are you doing? Wow. 
And that was kind of the first time that somebody had asked me in the process, like how I was doing. And then all of a sudden emotion, you know, right? Like you're just like, Oh, you know, and then you do like this little check-in with yourself. And then all of a sudden you're just like, and you know, you're kind of like, what is wrong with me? And you're like, well, this is what's wrong. Like you're suffering from PTSD. You're, you are in the throes of your own crisis. It's not all about the patient all the time. Yeah. And you have your own thing that you're dealing with and, you know, God bless those friends. Um, I'm not going to mm. call them out because, you know, I want to protect the innocent. But <laughs> but needless to say, they're awesome. They were awesome. And I I will remember those oh. conversations and them taking the time to call me till the end of the I mean, and it was something that my family couldn't do. You know, my... Yeah. my, my they were my, too close. Right. My sister and my brother and my mom, th- they were all concerned. I spoke with them every day, but they were worried about my father. You know, they, they wanted to make sure that my father was going to come home and they definitely were concerned about me and they would check in with me. But the primary focus of the conversations was always about my father. And it was so important to me to have these people contact me. And so in the process of being a caregiver, I I would suggest to anybody, if you have a support system that's outside of your family, please use it. Call people up. If there's things that you can find that ground you, that make you, you again, hobbies, whatever it is, you know, knitting. Yeah. Jeffrey's going to laugh. Legos. <laughs> yes, I am gonna <laughs> <laughs> he knows I'm a Lego fan, <laughs> but those things that make you, you again, you have to do them. You have to carve out time and make sure that you engage in those things because they, I think they ground you. I think they bring you back to center a little bit, even a little artificially, because yeah, I think you're right, Kelly, you have to process the emotion and sometimes they just leak out and explode Absolutely. out. But if you can kind of do the things that make you you and kind of deal with it at the same time, sometimes it's a little less traumatic. You know, and then you you had mentioned um, you thought you would be quote unquote good at this. And I think that's a really important thing is about the expectations we put on ourselves. How would you ever know? Because you've never been in this exact situation, right? So for people that are listening, that are just seeking something, I think it's permission to just be wherever you're at in that moment. And we have to stay in the now yeah. in caregiving. I think that's really important because we are forced so much in the medical system to think forward thinking. And well, we're going to see how he's doing tomorrow. Or we're going to see how he's doing in two days. If he doesn't respond in 48 hours to this medication, it's going to be this, that, and the other. And as caregivers, we really only have now. And, right. and to be in that now, and if, again, if the emotions come up and they're intense, in the now, let them be. And and that's so true because one of the other things, my sister joined me um, at, in, this, in, the, in the process and we kept looking at my dad and he, if he had a good day, we would talk about getting him home in recovery. If he had a bad day, we would talk about him passing away. And it took us a while to stop it, you know, ex- extrapolating from one one thing that was happening, the outcome, and just to kind of say we're living in the now. This he's having a good day, or he's having a bad day, and not sit there and say, "What are we going to do tomorrow?" And I think as a caregiver, you have to live in the now. You have to kind of focus on exactly what's happening today and how you're going to make it through today. Um, tomorrow, you know, you can come in and fight another battle, and it, it's going to be a different battle tomorrow, right. especially right. when you're dealing with older older parents or older loved ones it's it's a completely different battle and you have to be 
kind of ready for the battle tomorrow without your set of constraints, without your baggage, without all of that in all of that expectation. I wasted a lot of time worried about the fear of what was going to happen next. You know, it's so interesting. I often will bring up the statistic that 85% of what we worry about actually does not come true. And um, having worked so many years with the dying at the end of life, that is a common theme is that they regret worrying so much. And then when I go a little deeper about what the worry was, they can't even remember it. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to that, right? But it's a natural thing to worry about somebody when you're scared. If you could go back, minus the, oh, we wouldn't go. But let's say all the things happened as they did. If you could go back now, what did you learn from this crisis? What did you... What have you learned about yourself? One of the things that I definitely came away from the experience was kind of being more honest with myself in terms of understanding what emotions there are and how to kind of deal with them and process them. Um, my sister did join me, and uh, the day before my we were medevaced back to Chicago, my sister took a commercial flight home, and I took her to the train station, and it, we had had a, you know, we had had a long week and I said goodbye to her and I got unexpectedly very emotional. I get upset when I think about it now. Um, but I ended up kind of sitting in this McDonald's at the train station by myself, just bawling. And at that point, now I had had so many of these episodes, I was kind of comfortable. Getting good at it. <laughs> yeah, I was, getting, I was, I was okay. You know, I was nice. like, this is, this is happening now. And you know, this, this very nice kind woman came up and she, she hugged me and she gave me tissues and, oh. you know, and I think at the beginning of the experience, I would have been embarrassed by this and having been seen in that, in that kind of raw state. But I realize now it happened and, you know, it, it is what it, and the funny story is my sister lives next door to me. It's not like I don't see her every day of the week, you know, so it didn't make a lot of sense that I well, was and, wow. it, and it does, and that's. I'm so glad you just said that because we want to make sense of yeah. emotions, and again, they're involuntary. They had nothing to do with any kind of. It was just I, you know, my sister had been there, and she'd been such a resource for me, and yes. I, I was not happy to see her go, and I didn't want to be separated from her for that moment, you know. And it didn't make any rational sense, but it happened, and. I think the thing I learned was that when it happens or when you feel that kind of swelling emotion and you're just like, ugh, mm -hmm. and you normally would beat yourself up and say, you know, don't do that. That's awful. Eh, let it go. Yeah. It happens. Let it be. Right. So as we're, as we're ending, three words right now that come to mind about how you're different now than what you were then. Three words, descriptive words. Definitely more thoughtful. I, I'm trying, you know, because the Odyssey has continued with my dad and I'm trying to think of ways to deal with his situation and engage with him in ways that don't necessarily exacerbate our problems. Um, so, you know, the family dynamics were always kind of there. These experiences create us going forward. I mean, they do. So more thoughtful in general. I think so. I'm okay. trying to be. Um, well, it was very thoughtful to do this I, podcast. I was really excited to do it. Um, I, I think I've definitely become more aware of the fact that, you know, that there's baggage that came from the experience. Um, some good, you know. Yeah, I say 
I was, I was able to save my father's life and get him back home and do all this stuff. So I'm not so good. You know, I constantly worrying about what might go wrong next. Uh, I think that's definitely PTSD. Yeah. I think that's, I, I think that's exactly it. It's like, you're constantly, I didn't used to think in those terms and now I worry about what's going to happen next. Um, and you know, we didn't have much of a Christmas this year, but, um, we didn't have to, I, I think that was something I really appreciated. You know, my, my sister is pregnant. Um, my brother just had his uh, first son. So my parents, you know, our grandparents now, um, and this was the first time that, you know, at a holiday, they, they, they were grandparents. I, that meant a lot to me, even though we didn't do anything, you know, we, I, we ended up kind of cooking Thanksgiving dinner over again, but it, it was, and we weren't even all together. My dad was still in hospital, but having the family together meant a lot to me, you know, and it, so gratitude, gratitude. Yeah. Cause you know, if you ask me what I was doing it all for, it was that, you know, it was, it was for the us to be together. Um, and I think that for anybody who's dealing with an elder parent or taking care of an older, that that's as good as you get. Mm-hmm. So you get that moment, you get to have that, that holiday with them where you're together and they're there and they're present and enjoy that moment. Don't, don't lose it worrying about things. Beautiful uh, advice for life in general. And, you know, Dan, as we, um, as we close here, I do want to thank you. And I want to say that thank you for allowing those listening that are in it now to have some high insight before they get to that place that you can, as being the expert as you are. I'm not an expert. Well, you are in your story. And so sharing your story has been very helpful because what you essentially did just now is give people permission to feel what they feel. And that I just want to honor for you that you are having very understandable reactions to a really serious situation. And I do hope you'll think about now that things have calmed a little bit with him, maybe even seeking some support for yourself. Absolutely. You know, whether it be therapy or a caregiver support group or whatever it may be, um, some trauma work I think would be a really good deal. So so I I really want to thank you. And um, Jeffrey, are you still in the studio? I'm absolutely still in the studio. This has been fantastic. I've been writing notes while you guys have been chatting, being thoughtful, calling up your stuff kind of, right? Mm -hmm. Worrying about your worry, but that's okay. And bringing people together and being grateful for it. That's just fantastic. So awesome. Thank Thank you guys so much for having me. Dan. So wonderful. So uh, why don't we just play ourselves out? This has been awesome bringing you guys together. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Dan. You made my trip to Chicago worth it. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you for listening to this CWK podcast. It's our hope that these words bring comfort, healing, and insight to your life, wherever you are and whatever you're experiencing. Please subscribe and share this episode. You can also follow and like Conversations with Kelly on Facebook. One quick note, we've done our best to share some ideas, tips, and techniques to help guide you. 
This podcast's content is not intended to be a substitute for or constitute professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We encourage you to seek professional medical advice if needed. Thank you.